Welcome to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. Join us in person for worship each Sunday at 9.30 a.m. For more information about Covenant, including discipleship and mission opportunities, visit us at www.covenantpresjackson.org. In the first chapter of Mark's Gospel, Jesus is introduced and characterized in various vignettes. In them, people have been puzzling over the identity of Jesus. They asked questions. Who is this who teaches with authority? Who is this who can cast out demons? Who is this that can heal the sick? So far, two voices have answered these questions. The first was a voice from heaven which spoke at his baptism. God himself said to Jesus, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. And the second voice came from a demon attending synagogue in Capernaum. He said to Jesus, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus was well known by angels and demons, God and Satan. But he was not understood by the people he came to save though he was beginning to attract their attention. So much so that in our passage last week, Jesus left Capernaum to avoid the crowds, and he began preaching and healing throughout the region of Galilee. During this time, a leper came up to him and asked for healing, which was remarkable because lepers were unclean and supposed to keep their distance from others. And yet Jesus reached out his arm and touched the man. According to God's law, touching something unclean made you unclean. But that didn't happen to Jesus. When Jesus touched the man, the leper was healed and declared clean. This miracle offers a significant clue to the identity of Jesus. He is a holy man who cannot be defiled. Rather, he makes others holy. That's the gospel message. We are unholy, defiled by our sin, unclean like the leper. But Jesus isn't defiled by us. Rather, he cleanses us from our leprous hearts. After this encounter, Jesus instructed the man to keep the miracle quiet and to show himself to the priest and offer what Moses had commanded. Jesus was upholding the religious law. He didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. But the man was disobedient. Instead of keeping it a secret, he spoke freely to everyone. This created a problem for Jesus. Crowds of people began to flock around him. People who admired Jesus and wanted to be healed but they weren't true followers of Jesus. They weren't interested in obeying his commands. They were merely fans of Jesus. And they only got in the way. Now, Jesus was concerned about preaching the word to as many people as possible. He was teaching that the time had come and the kingdom of God is at hand. And so people should repent and believe the gospel. 
And wherever he went, he attracted a crowd. Now, Mark mentions crowds 40 times in the first 10 chapters. But there's never a moment when a crowd represents or where a crowd repents and shows true faith. Well, that happens in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost when thousands were being added to the number of believers day by day. But at this point, crowds only hindered the message of Jesus. The crowds drove Jesus out of Capernaum and then the crowds deterred him in the desolate places throughout Galilee. And the crowds continue to be a hindrance in our passage today. After some amount of time, Jesus returned to Capernaum. More than likely, he was at Simon's house and word got out that Jesus, the great miracle worker, was back in town. And so crowds of people clamored at the door and Jesus preached to them. They were presumably listening to his every word, but it's not the crowd who serves as exemplary in this passage. In fact, they're a hindrance. They're blocking the way for a small group of people with exemplary faith. Four people trying to bring their paralyzed friend to see Jesus. I like to try and visualize what it must have been like to have been, to have been there and have seen these things. Simon was probably excited to open the doors and let people into his home because he was host to a rising star. Everything seemed to be going well. Jesus was teaching. Crowds of people were listening. Even the honorable scribes were there. And then they heard some clamoring outside, followed by the sounds of footsteps above their heads. People were on the roof. Now, this house was at full capacity, and now people are even on the roof. This is getting a bit out of hand. And Jesus is still teaching. But the noise above them surely got louder and louder. Now, was Jesus standing in the middle of the room? Was this going on right above his head or above the crowds? You know, there was a, a scratching sound, and the noise got louder and, and louder, and then dirt started to fall onto the crowd, and Light started to break through. I wonder, did, did Simon shout at them? <laughs> what are you doing? How long did it take for them to dig through the roof? That's what they were doing. They were digging. Now, the roof was made with a matting of reeds, branches, and dried mud laid out on top of wooden cross beams. And you know, it wasn't unusual for people to be on the roof. It was designed to be used like a patio. It had a staircase built in to make it easy to go up for fresh air. But, but these were guests, and they were making their own way into the house through the roof. Was Simon upset by what they were doing to his house or amused? Now, the roofs, being made of leaves and mud, had to be recovered and reinforced every year, and so you know, it would have been easy to repair. So it's not as awful as it might sound, but it's certainly memorable. You know, Mark received his information directly from Simon Peter. I'm sure when they talked about the ministry of Jesus, they, they must have laughed as they recounted the time the crowd was so large in his house that people dug through the roof to get to Jesus. Now, Mark, it doesn't tell us about the reactions of the disciples, but when Jesus saw them, he didn't see troublemakers. He saw 
an object lesson, an, an illustration of faith unfolding before his eyes. As the roof opened up, a paralyzed man on a mat was lowered into the room by four men who would not be hindered by the crowds. Their faith was de demonstrated by action, not words, not feelings, but the willingness to come to Jesus no matter what was in the way, no matter what others thought of them. Now, surely at least one person tried to reprimand them for breaking and entering. And people may have shouted as the dirt began to fall through the roof and land on top of them. And what they did was bolt. I mean, what, what was their exit strategy if it turned out that Jesus couldn't heal them? But they entered through the roof, fully expecting their friend to be able to walk out the front door on his own power. They believed that Jesus could heal him. They just needed to get their friend to Jesus. If only we had that passion all the time. The urgency to bring our neighbors, friends, and family to where they can learn about and worship Jesus. Their faith impressed Jesus. He had seen a lot of crowds, but not a lot of people with faith like that. When Jesus healed the leper, he did so because he was moved with pity. But this time he was moved to action because of their faith. But what Jesus said to the man in front of the crowd was unexpected. It seems like Jesus would have said something like, rise, your faith has made you well. But instead he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Huh? Uh, that's a really weird thing to say. I mean, can you imagine if you went to a doctor for medical treatment and instead he declared your sins forgiven? They came to Jesus for physical healing, not spiritual healing. But Jesus was more interested in bringing spiritual healing than physical healing. And this was as good of an opportunity as ever to bring this part of his mission to the forefront of his ministry. He already had crowds hindering him. Why not test what they really believe about him? And so Jesus pronounced forgiveness over the man, an act which immediately raises the question, by what authority can Jesus say that? God alone can forgive sin because all sin is ultimately against God. He is the offended party every time. When David committed adultery with Bathsheba and lied and then murdered Uriah to cover it up, he later confessed his sin to God saying, against you, you only have I sinned. Now, David's sin had horrible consequences to other people but each individual sin is ultimately a rejection of God. And we are accountable for each sin. God is just and will not let sin go unpunished. Well, that being said, forgiveness was possible, but it had to be done according to God's word. A priest could pronounce the forgiveness of sins on the basis of repentance, restitution, and sacrifice. All three of those things needed to be present. And the forgiveness would be based on those things having taken place. But Jesus was not a Levitical priest and no sacrifice was offered as a basis for the forgiveness of this man. 
but Jesus declared his sins to be forgiven. And it was not a slip of the tongue. Jesus knew what he was doing. He spoke with the authority of God. He spoke as if he was God. This marks a significant turning point in people's understanding of who Jesus is. It's one thing to teach and heal, but to claim to be able to forgive sins between God and man is entirely different. Muslims today respect Jesus as a prophet. They respect him as a miracle worker, but they do not believe that he has the authority to forgive sins. No human has that ability. And no human was ever expected to have that ability. There were many expectations for the Messiah, but the forgiveness of sins is not one of them. There's an apocryphal book written in the first or second century BC called the Psalms of Solomon. And two chapters in it have a classic description of the Messiah. And it speaks of his overcoming demons, ushering in a perfect government, judging the godless, and of his righteousness and sinlessness. But nowhere does it suggest that he has the authority to forgive sins. That was never an expectation of the Messiah. Moses never did that. David never did that. Only God could do that. It's nothing short of blasphemy to say that you can do what only God can do. And so the scribes who heard Jesus pronounce the forgiveness of sin, they were deeply troubled. It was offensive. He was a blasphemer. And the punishment for blasphemy is death. What should they do? They, they just witnessed a budding celebrity, miracle worker, utter blasphemy. But the crowds love him. What, what should they do? Something must be done. They can no longer remain neutral about Jesus. What Jesus said changes the feel-good story about a group of people's radical faith to a theological controversy. His audience is now forced to make up their mind about his identity. He is either a blasphemer and should be put to death, or he has the authority of God. He truly speaks for God. And what he preached about the kingdom of God being near is true. And that forgiveness of sin can come through him. So he's either God's representative in a way that no prophet has ever been or will be, or he's a heretic. Jesus knew what he did. And he knew what the scribes were thinking about what he did. And so he asked them a question filled with irony. Which is easier, he said, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? Now, on one hand, it's very easy to say empty words. Forgiveness between man and God is not a tangible thing that can be seen or verified. It's an invisible reality that Jesus is claiming to be able to affect. Anyone can say the words, your sins are forgiven, but no one but God can make that true. And so Jesus knew that they didn't believe him, but they could not deny a miracle done before their very eyes. 
And so he does the miracle as a way to prove his proclamation. The miracle is intended to serve as a visible sign to verify the invisible proclamation he made. His intention is clear because he prefaced the miracle with the words that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. By this statement, Jesus is declaring that it's his intention to heal the paralytic man as a visible sign of his authority to forgive sin. And so he says to the man, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he immediately responded with obedience. He believed what Jesus said and stood up. He didn't stick around to hear more teaching. He was obedient. He left right away and went home, leaving a stunned crowd behind. They were amazed. They glorified God, which suggests that they didn't charge him with blasphemy. But they weren't sure what it meant. By what authority can Jesus forgive sins? They didn't understand who Jesus was. They, they didn't recognize him to be God. But they saw something they couldn't fully understand or explain. And the passage ends with them puzzled, saying, we never saw anything like this. Indeed, no one ever had. Earlier, I said that Jesus' question to the scribes was ironic. I pointed out that it's easier to say the words, your sins are forgiven, because of the reality of what you said can't be verified, than it is to actually heal someone. But in reality, it's much more difficult to offer forgiveness of sins because the penalty of sin is death and the penalty must be paid. The man wasn't forgiven by empty words without cost to Jesus. The penalty of sin must be paid and Jesus knew that. And he also knew that it was his mission to pay the penalty of sin so that man can be reconciled to God. He was to preach the gospel and declare the coming kingdom of God. And he knew that his mission would culminate in his sacrificial death on the cross where he will suffer and die and bear the wrath of God so that forgiveness can be offered in his name. And you are here because he did exactly that. Though his death on the cross seemed to be a sign of his defeat, the resurrection reinterprets that sign. He defeated death by experiencing it and not remaining under its power. Through faith in him, we are united to him, which means that we are united in his death so that when he died, our sin and guilt died with him. And as he rose again from the dead, so are we raised to new life, a life that is pleasing to God. And we will never be separated from him or his love because his work cannot be undone. That's the good news of the gospel. And it's for you. Thank you for tuning in to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. 